Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2, and if you are able, would you stand for the reading of the word? Trying to honor the word of God. Yep, go ahead. Come on, Merce. You guys give Mercy a hand. She's going to read for us today. Go for it. You can do whatever you want. Oh, there there we go. There it is. It's, yeah, I brought up a Bible, but it's there too, so that's helpful. Uh, Okay, Nehemiah 11 through 20. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when San Ballot, the the Horonite, uh, Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Awesome. The word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks, Merce. Good job. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Be seated. Everyone did a good job not chuckling at Dungate. Uh, Good good work. Good work. so we've been in this, uh, in this series kind of looking at the story of Nehemiah and trying to draw some parallels. We, we feel like we're in a rebuilding phase as a church family. Uh, we're trying to look at some of the lessons that we can learn uh, from this story of Nehemiah. And just a quick recap, remember Nehemiah uh, was one of the exiled Jewish people uh, in Babylon, away from his homeland. And remember, he discovers that his, that his city, where, where uh, the people, where the promises of God are supposed to be fulfilled, is in ruins, that the city walls are in, ru- in ruins. Um, and, and so when he hears that he's moved in his heart and he sets off on this course to begin to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem alongside with a temple that's already being rebuilt. And it's this amazing story um, that um, there's all kinds of opposition to it. Uh, and it's this an incredible story of just God using people to do something great. And so we're just looking at some parallels from this. And in my mind, this little passage here is a great illustration of kind of how a dream that's birthed in someone's heart 
begins to be fulfilled? How does someone step in to a dream that God is putting uh, in your heart? And so we're just going to look a little bit at how that happens today. So have you ever thought about kind of how you ended up in the place and position in life that you're in right now? Like how you got where you are and as a person in your business as a mom or a dad, as a husband or a wife, as a whatever it is that you are, like, have you ever kind of thought, like, how did I, how did I get here? Like, usually, kind of where we end up in life, like, starts out with a really simple idea. Like, um, maybe not just one idea, but, but a number of small ideas, but most people don't start out life with this huge grand plan. Like, hey, let's get off the whiteboard and strategize about where, like, that's not where you start. You might do that along the way, but usually kind of where we end up in life, no matter what it is, no matter what your story is, it starts out with like something simple. Like most people don't start out with like a clear vision. Chances are that somewhere along the way in your life, you discovered that you like were good at something and decided to do more of that, or that you really enjoyed something and decided, I want to do more of that. Or something sparked an idea, like, for you. Like, and that idea grew in your life and, and influenced the choices that you make, where, where you went to college, maybe, or, like, this way or that way. Like, and, and, like, and somehow that influences, like, here you are today. And, like, somewhere along the way, you're like, hey, I think, I think I could do this. Like, maybe I could marry that person, or maybe I could do this career, or maybe I could go to that school. Like, that it's, but it didn't start with, like, a grand plan. It starts with something simple. And that's the case whether we're talking about, like, becoming, like, a parent or becoming a president. It usually starts somewhere in your story with, like, a simple idea or a simple question. And, again, rarely does it ever start out with this big, clear plan. Uh, sometimes, you know, people, like, I shared last week or a couple weeks ago, like, I wanted to be a superhero. Like, that, that didn't happen. But I did have big dreams as a kid, but, like, I didn't do anything with it. Just silly imagination. But, but most of the time, our stories kind of unfold and start with, like, simple questions or simple ideas. They usually start with, like, something like, what if? Asking a question, what if? I was remembering this week the, the, the Goonies. Anyone, any Goonies fans in the room? Yes, my people. So there's this, this 80s classic movie of this group of kids uh, that set out on this adventure. And that adventure starts with, with two things. One, the, the kids are about to be essentially evicted from where they live. They're, they're going to lose the place where they live, and they're all kind of torn up about it. And then uh, they go into the attic of one of the kids, and along, while they're in the attic, they discover and they find basically a treasure map that's going to lead them to where a pirate's treasure is. And while they're in the attic, the, the kind of the lead character starts to ask, what if? Like, what if... We were to follow this map and go and find that treasure. Then we might be able to actually solve the problem, buy the property so it doesn't get taken over. And it starts out that way. And if you think about almost every movie, we just uh, watch Stand By Me. Any, any fans? I'm, we're like reaching back into the 80s here, right? Uh, so uh, like that movie starts out with, what if? Like, what if we went on this journey and found, they, they discover that there's the body, like a body somewhere, and they want to go and find the body, and so it starts out with like a what if. And almost anything that you can think of in life starts out with a what if. Like, sometimes someone somewhere looked up at the moon and said, what if? Like, what if we figured out a way to get there? 
And, like, and it, there wasn't like a straight line from that what if to the moon. There were lots of other what ifs along the way. And eventually the, the thing that actually drives us to go to the moon is like competition with the Soviet Union. And the, then the question becomes not what if we go to the moon, but what if they get there first, right? And so there's all these what ifs in our life that lead us to the things that we're doing. And those what ifs don't have to be big, huge, epic tales or like dreams. They can be really simple things. Like, like maybe along the way, like you discovered, like, gosh, I'm like, I can, I can build things. I'm like pretty good at fixing stuff. And that turned into what you do now in life. Or maybe you realize, like, gosh, I'm really creative and I like feel like I, I like doing this. And so I want to do more of that. Like, some of you discovered along the way, gosh, I just really love kids. And like, I just, I really want to be a mom or I really want to be a dad. But it started with a what if. Like, what if I could do that? All of us have asked a question at some point like that or not, intentionally or not. But what we do with that what if is usually the thing that actually shapes our life. It's not just asking the question, what if? It's what we do when we ask the question, what if? That influences where we go. So uh, just a little bit of a story from my life. I might have told the story or not before. I can't remember. But uh, I was uh, with a group of my, uh, from my youth group, uh, kids, do not do this. Any youth group, like, this is not a thing I want you to do. So, and, and uh, we used to have Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night church. And we were there no matter what at all three times all week. Well, a lot of times between Sunday morning church and Sunday night church, we would hang out. And so our youth group was hanging out one Sunday, not the whole, but, uh, but uh, some guys from the youth group. And we were hanging out a little bit too long and we were running late getting to the church. Well, the problem was the youth group was about half of the worship band. And so like we had the guitarist, guys, I used to play trumpet. Uh, so uh, that's about the extent of my, my trumpet skills right now. And so like, we were like, oh my gosh, we're running late. We better hurry up and go. So, so we, start, we start on our way to, to go there. And then we realize, gosh, you know, there's a really like a long way to get to church, but we never thought about crossing through this field um, to get there a little bit faster to the road that our church was on. And so we, we came by this, this field and we were like, well, what if? we were to like try to take a shortcut through this field. And my friend had this big giant red van, kind of like the old Richie red van, similar to that, this big red van. And so us teenagers were like, what if we decided to do this? Well, like it should have just been a what if and then we kept going on the road we didn't. Like, but it didn't turn out that way. And that what if turned, us, turned into us trying to cut through this field and got bogged down in the mud. And we're like, oh my gosh, our parents are going to murder us. Like, not only are we late, like we're stuck. And this is pre-cell phone era. Like there is no, there's no houses around. There's no one's going to know where we are. And so we gathered, guys, this is awesome. We gathered around outside the van. We laid hands on the van and prayed for it. And I'm telling you, Jesus moved the van. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but we prayed for the van and we pushed it. And it, yes, that's a miracle. Yes. The problem was, once the van started moving, it kicked up mud all over us, and so we were completely covered in mud, everybody who pushed the car, and we still were late to church, and so we all walked in, like, very sheepishly, covered in mud, like no one was going to notice. Everyone walks up to the stage and starts playing their instruments. There's no point to the second half of this story. I'm just telling it just because. The point is that that should have just been a what if that didn't go anywhere, but we didn't. We took it somewhere. But there are plenty of times where the what if questions, the things that get our attention, the questions that we have, the things that are in our heart, we actually do need to take a next, a next step with. For Nehemiah, the what if was, 
What if we could get the resources and go back and, and rebuild Jerusalem? What if? What if it's not okay that my homeland is like that? And it disturbs them. And, it, and, and he doesn't just sit on it. He actually goes, and we've talked about this over the last couple weeks. He goes in this place of repentance and deep prayer. And then he takes this bold step and then eventually goes before the king. But all that's kind of like groundwork before he really steps into the thing that's actually going to happen. And so what I want to look at is those next couple steps for just the next few minutes. These are going to be really quick that, that Nehemiah kind of takes up and steps into to see this dream come to happen. Now, before I dive in uh, to, to these few steps of kind of nurturing a dream, I just want to say that this story of Nehemiah, and I've said this already, but I feel like it's so important for me to say it every week. Um, it's a really big story. It's a story of a big dream. There are miraculous things that happen in this story. Um, and sometimes that can make us feel a little bit like um, small, like, God, I don't have big dreams like that. Like, I don't, I don't think that way. I don't have, like, big ideas. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I, I, don't, I don't have a big dream like that. And so, so here's what I want you to know, that, like, you might not, and that's okay. Because I am 100% confident that, that the God of heaven, if, you've, if you know Jesus, lives inside of you, and his creativity is inside of you. The God who painted the stars and carved out the oceans and like made the mountains and all of that, like that God lives inside of you. And so somewhere inside of you is some creative what if. It doesn't have to be this massive, huge thing. It can be something really simple and small. There's some gift that you have. There's some talent that you have. There's some way that you have to contribute to us as a church family and to the kingdom of God, to the mission of God. There is something I know for sure. I know it. I know it. You can take me to the bank on it. I know you do. So don't let the fact that you might not have like a really big dream keep you from hearing what I'm about to say. Because this, this is for everybody, not just for the dreamers. You, I know for sure, have asked what if. You see problems. You see opportunities. You see challenges. I know you do because you're a human being and because the God of heaven, you bear the image of God in you. And so I know there's something inside of you that God is stirring, even if you're not aware of it right now. And what we're trying to foster here in our church family is an environment where people have the freedom to dream about how they partner with God and not just have the church do stuff for you. This is why we gave you Easter eggs instead of you giving us Easter eggs and having a big thing here. Because God has placed you in your neighborhood. He's placed you among the people that you live with. He's placed you in your workplace, not me. And so what we want to do is kind of collectively kind of create an environment where people are going, yeah, like what, what could God do? Like that's, that's the kind of environment that we're trying to create. So some of you already are right now in a place where the dream that's in your heart has carried you beyond what you thought was possible. I know that's true. Some of you, if you were to go back to your 13-year-old self and you were to, to talk to yourself now, you would have no idea that this is where you would end up in life. And the dream that's in your heart has already carried you way beyond what you ever thought as possible. For some of you, this is the first time anyone's ever given you permission to dream. For anyone's ever told you that you have something to contribute, that you have something special and unique about who you are, and that's okay. For many of you, like, this is just a place of grounding about, okay, God, I feel like kind of lost and I want to get practical. And so I just want to give you just a few things to help us get practical. So here's the first thing. Nehemiah nurtures the dream that's in his heart in secret. 
Nehemiah nurtures the dream that's in his heart in secret. The text here that we read today says two times that he doesn't tell anybody what was in his heart. That's an interesting thing. To have something like this strong desire that you know that God is growing in you. He actually says, God put it in my heart. And he doesn't tell anybody about it other than the king. That's a really fascinating thing. Because that's so countercultural today. Right? right now we blab everything on social media. Right? And even if you're not a social media person, like politicians do this all the time. They make all these grand huge promises about vision that they have. And then they don't actually do anything about it. Right? Is, are you? Am I lying or is this true? Like, right? We, we just, I'm not saying there's something wrong with social media. I'm just saying like, we just don't know how to like steward something that God is like growing in our heart in secret. Like we don't know how to, how to keep that secret. Actually, it says that he went in the middle of the night. When's the last time like you like had something just like kind of just inside of you that got you up in the middle of the night, Right? When no one else knows and no one else is like, this is like basically spy stuff. He's sneaking out where no one knows because he's got this dream that's in his heart. He's not yet ready for anybody to know about it. And there, certainly there were a few people who probably knew what he was up to, but he didn't show up and announce this like with like a vision night. He didn't like whiteboard it like and be like, hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's my slideshow and like streamers and not that those things are wrong. We're going to do that stuff as a church, but like there's something about nurturing a dream in secret that's really, really important. The reality is that I found that both in my life and other people that the things that God has called us to, the things that he's wanting us to step into most often grow best out of the spotlight, out of public. Like, they grow kind of in the backwoods where no one can see it. They grow in secret. They grow in times of loneliness and obscurity. So think about some of the key characters in the Bible. Hey, Noah, I'm about to flood the earth. Uh, okay, God, do you want me to go and tell everybody? Nope, just you. Uh, go ahead and build a boat for me, and you're going to take your family and some animals, and like, here's, here's what, like, this happens in obscurity. Hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. But here's the deal. In order for me to do that, you're going to have to move and go where nobody knows you. So just take a few people and go to a place where no one knows your name. That's, that's crazy. How about Moses? Moses grows up in the palace of Pharaoh, like grows up as, as a royal person in, in, in Egypt. And then where does he get the dream that God places in his heart to go and set the people free? He's out shepherding sheep. He's out just by himself, no one else around, in obscurity. David, all of his brothers are off doing something really important. They're off fighting a battle in a war. He's at home doing the work that nobody else wants to do. And it's there that a person comes by and calls him and says, no, you should be here because this one is going to be king. And I think about Jesus, 30 years in obscurity. No public ministry that we know of. You want to talk about sitting on something for a long time? I like can't sit on a secret for like a day. I'm like, who can I tell? I want to tell this. Jesus for 30 years. And then the last little bit of it, right before Jesus starts to go into his public ministry, uh, the father is like, hey, let's take another 40 days or so and it'll be just me and you. Like this is how God grows dreams. It often happens in secret. 
So right now, even, you may have a question that's in your heart. You might have a a, a stirring for something. You might have a growing desire to do something, and you feel like, I don't know what to do with this. I'm just going to say that being lonely in that right now is okay. It's actually good. It's actually a godly thing. Dreams and vision often start in obscurity and loneliness. You see, God uses those hidden seasons in our life, those secret places to nurture and grow something in us that he wants to do. So if you feel alone or confused right now, like about kind of like, what am I doing? What's my purpose? Like, how, what am I supposed to be stepping into? I'm going to tell you, don't rush to figure it out. Maybe that's exactly where God wants you. Maybe right now, being kind of in that hidden place is exactly where God needs you to be. So the thing you do is spend more time with Jesus, not try to figure it out. Are you guys okay? Yeah? All right, cool. All right. So the next thing that happens is Nehemiah begins to refine the dream with action. He begins to refine the dream with action. So after he spends this period of time, like he go, he's like prayed, he's, he's done all those things. Like now in, this, in, the, in the secret of night, he's going and he's exploring the walls of Jerusalem. He's trying to go and see what is the real situation on, on the ground. I've heard rumors of how the city has been destroyed. I've, I've heard rumors that the gates have been destroyed, but I want to see, see it for myself. And so he starts investigating what's the real need here. What will it take to accomplish this task? This is so important because I think so many of us like are waiting for God oftentimes to give us this like, thus saith the Lord, heaven's open, and then here are your marching orders kind of thing. And in my experience, that's just typically not how it happens. Usually it's this playful exploration with God of like, why don't you go and see? Why don't you go and look? Why don't you begin to just see what this is actually going to take if you really wanted to step into this? If this was something I really had for you, why don't you go and investigate yourself? Oftentimes, God asks us to go and take a closer look at something before we actually fully step into it. And so, and then after we do that, it begins to become more clear. So just real practical, maybe here in our church family, you would say, I feel like maybe God's like growing a love in my heart for the poor. Let me just say, like, don't wait until you get a grand vision for the poor. Like, just start helping out people who are poor. Like, we've got this big table ministry, and it is awesome. Go team big table. We've got some great people that serve so faithfully. It's awesome. We would love to have you. Like, it's, just, it's so awesome. Uh, so, so maybe if that's a thing, like, just start exploring. Like, start investigating. Maybe it's to reach your neighbors. Like, maybe you're like, yeah. That sounds like a really idea, great idea. I'd love, I'd love to reach my neighbors. Well, one of the best things you could do, two things. One, prayer walk your neighborhood. And if you've never prayed walk, it's really hard. You walk and then you pray. Like you just, you just walk and then you pray. God, show me what you're doing in my neighborhood. Show me what you're doing among my neighbors. It's, it's not that hard. And the second thing is you actually have to be home if you want to reach your neighbors. You know, like... I know that seems like really crazy, but like in our society, we're all just going so many directions all the time. Like Jen and I have a heart to reach my neighbors and I have to like take stock every once in a while and be like, wait, when's the last time I was just here? Like I can't just be going everywhere. So again, practical next step, just like, hey, just like be around. Like guys, again, like I think that this is way more simple like than what we want to make it to be. Maybe like you have a heart to worship 
Like maybe you're the kind of person that's like, gosh, I just feel like God's growing something in, in my heart to worship. I'm telling you, the best thing that you can do is become a worshiper at home. And then the second best thing you could do is serve behind the scenes to, make to help make sure worship happens. Show up early to help move some microphones around or run slides or lights, like whatever, whatever it might be. Like if that's your heart, like one way to investigate if that's the way that God has, just practically start giving involved. You know, it's interesting in this story, one thing that never happens in the story of Nehemiah, God never overtly speaks to Nehemiah. Isn't that interesting? That we don't have a moment in the story of Nehemiah where God says, Nehemiah, I want you to go and do this, thus saith the Lord. That's really fascinating to me because that's how I want it to happen. How about you? Like, I want God to make it so crystal clear, a jet flies in the sky and writes it in the cloud. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's, that's what I feel like I need from God. But Nehemiah is really clear. This is something God put in my heart. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> like, this is a matter of the heart. Like, this is like a, a passion that, that God rises up within you. Again, I think so many times we're waiting for God to write it in the sky for it. It's like, you already know he's put something in your heart. It's come out of your experience. It's come out of your questions. It's come out of your pain. It comes out of the things that gets you excited. Like, God is stirring something inside of you, whether you know it or not. So Nehemiah has this desire. He nurtures it in secret, and then he refines it by stepping in and actually exploring something and discovering it. But then the next thing that Nehemiah does is he starts to share this dream with a few key people. So after he's been this time in secret, after he starts to investigate himself, he decides, okay, now it's time to tell people what we're up to. And so he goes to the people who are with him, the people who are on his journey, and says, hey, this is what we came to do. This is what we came to do. And I think this is so important because if you're going to, it doesn't matter whether it's this really big dream that you have or a really practical thing, having some people who know your heart and know the heart of God who can speak into that is so, so critically important. So here's what I would say really practically. If you have like, gosh, I think maybe I would like to serve in this way. I think maybe God is like, like stirring something in me to start something. Find some people around you who you know know you and you know love God and have some conversations with them. It doesn't matter what it is. Hey, let me run this by you. This is what I was thinking. I had this idea and I'm not sure if it's crazy or if this is normal or whatever. So we've done this many times in our life because quite honestly, I just don't trust my own judgment most of the time. Anyone else feel that way? Like, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I, like, so, so when, when Jan was feeling this call, uh, a number of years ago to step down from her full-time teaching job and she started talking to me about it. I was like, no, that's not the Lord. Like, you're not having a Nehemiah moment. God did not put that in your heart. So, because uh, he did not put it in my heart. And so, and so we were like, okay, well, I guess we should pray about this until we get on the same page. And so we began to pray about it. And then slowly but surely, as husbands often do, I finally caught up to where she was. Yes. And so, and then I was like, okay, well, what do we do with this? And so we had learned from, some, from a previous church that we were a part of that when you have something like this, you should not make decisions like this in a vacuum. And so we went to some trusted people in our life. Man, my wife's making me emotional. In this church, and said, hey, guys, this is what we're thinking. It makes zero sense on paper. 
I don't know why we're doing this. We're going to lose our insurance and more than half of our income. Like, we just had another baby. Like, this makes absolutely no sense. But we feel like maybe God is in this. What do you guys think? And part of that was like, if this blows up, it's on you guys, you know? (laughs) And then we prayed about it. We sought the Lord together. And they were all like, no, this is 100% a thing that you should do. Man, what that did for us and taking the step of faith was massive. Now, let me just say that you won't always have that. Sometimes people will still think you're crazy. Like, right? People won't get it. But to the degree that you can, to have some trusted people in your life who know you and know the heart of God, that you can go and say, hey, what do you think about this? Is this something we should do? It's so, so powerful. It's the way a dream is actually born. I have seen so many people have their lives go so many wrong ways by not doing this. By not allowing godly voices speak into their life. By not pursuing, like, is this a thing we should do? And so I just really, really encourage you not to do that. Also, I just want to say this as an aside. I love in Nehemiah, you're going to see this over and over again. They refer to the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem as the work. It's a refrain over and over again. He says it a couple times here in this passage. We're going to commit ourselves to doing this work. And then they, the people that he talks to responds and they say, yes, we will commit ourselves to doing the work. The reason why that's important is because I think often we feel like if God has given us a dream or something he's asked us to step into, that it will feel easy, right? That it will, it will feel like, um, okay, God, you said to do this, so why is it so hard? And I feel like actually everything in scripture says, no, it's going to be hard. Jesus like sets the bar really high for his disciples when he calls them into discipleship. He's like, look, here's the deal. You can come and follow me if you want. But if you do, you're going to have to take up your cross. If you do, you're going to have to die to yourself. I've got something better for you. Like, I've got the real you in mind. So it's going to be okay to lay down the false version of you for the real version of who you are. He tells his disciples really clearly, like, in this world, you will have trouble, right? And so, actually, I think there's something really important in this book of Nehemiah that it is hard work. We're talking about physical labor. At one point in time, we're going to cover this in a little bit. They literally have like work tools in one hand and like swords in the other because they're, they're, they're under attack. And so the dreams that God has for you will oftentimes, even the simple steps will sometimes feel like this is work. And I wonder if that's less a problem than what we think it is. That actually, God's working in the work. There's something that's happening in the work, and that it doesn't necessarily need to be easy. The last thing that Nehemiah does here in this passage is he defends the dream when it gets challenged. Nehemiah defends the dream when it gets challenged. As soon, it's actually sandwiched. We didn't read this. Right before this, uh, there's opposition. These same characters show up and start to oppose Nehemiah. And then right at the end of this passage that, that we read today, this is like a sandwich of opposition. It's making it really clear that this thing that Nehemiah is going to do, that's going to be this awesome thing, it's going to come with lots of challenges. And so as soon as Nehemiah steps out into this, there's a, it's challenged immediately. And here's the point I want to make about that, that almost every time, almost every time, you take a step of faith and you say, God, okay, let's do this thing, it is going to be challenged almost every time. Almost every time. 
something won't go as you planned. People will criticize you or you will feel unsupported. Something will happen that will question, am I really like supposed to do this thing? Like, I'm just telling you, this is going to happen. Like, it's going to be challenged either internally or externally. It's just the way it is. And so those kinds of things will happen and they'll cause us to question, like, do I give up or do I abandon this thing? Like, I don't know, like, what do I do? I'm telling you, there is very few things that we've ever done as a church that I haven't second, third, fourth guessed. Like, because of the challenges. It's like, we step into, okay, we're gonna start this prayer room. I don't know if we're supposed to do this. I feel really strongly that we're, that we're supposed to. But like, I don't know what it's supposed to look like. I just feel like this is the thing we're supposed to do. But there have been challenges. There, there's just going to be challenges. It's going to come internally and it's going to come externally. And here's what I say. This is a feature and not a bug. It's a feature of stepping into the work of God and not a problem with doing the work of God. That, that doesn't mean that there, there are, aren't times where we're wrong. <laughs> there are times where we're wrong. I've made some decisions in my life that were, just, that were wrong. Or that I thought God was going to do one thing, and then when I stepped into, into it, it didn't work out the way I thought. It was actually over here. Like, you know, before we bought the house that we bought now, we felt really strongly we were supposed to buy a different house. We put an offer on it. We were really confident. We prayed about it. We thought this is what we're supposed to do, and it didn't, it didn't work out. Somebody came and offered more money, cash, cash, and we, there's no way we could possibly offer it. Like, and so I was disappointed because I felt really strongly that that was what we were supposed to do, and it didn't work out. But actually, what I think that God was doing in that challenge was getting us to narrow our focus to a particular place. And so what I thought the thing was I was sure about, that wasn't it at all. It was actually God was doing something totally different. These kinds of things happen to help us weed out uh, things that aren't a part of what we're stepping into. They're things that refine us in the process. They're things that that help us to better define, oh no, God's calling us to this and not that. It's part of that. Sometimes the things, the challenges that we experience when we step out into whatever it is, like I'm telling you, anything that you do for the kingdom of God, God will use it in your life to make you more like Jesus. Whatever it is. So as a person who, you know, is doing a lot of preaching here, man, it's not fun to let the word of God work in my heart week after week. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not asking for your sympathy. I'm just being, I mean, I'm, it's, it's part of what comes with the package of stepping into what God is that I have to lay my heart bare before God's word every single week. Otherwise, I can't stand up here and talk about it, right? God works in my life through the work that I've stepped into. And he works in your life through the work that you step into. You know it's true. You know, for those of you who are parents, you know that your relationship was closer with God and that you've learned about things about who God is through the way, through being a parent, right? Like, a lot of times it's like, man, God, I'm glad you're not like me, (laughs) right? It's just part of it. God is, he's so gracious and he's so kind that he'll use anything that we step into to form us into the image of Jesus. And here's the thing, that's more important to him than whatever it is you think your contribution is. You becoming more like Jesus is more important than whatever you think your calling might be. It's more important. Because who you will be in Christ is who you will be forever. One day I'm not gonna be a pastor. That's weird to think. Like one day it's it's not gonna happen. 
But me as a follower of Jesus and how Jesus is forming me, that is forever. And so what God does is he uses our vocation. He uses the ways that we volunteer and the ways that we serve to form us into his image. He's used your career. He's used your experiences. He's used the yeses that you've said in the, in the past to help you become more like him if you're open to it. And so for Nehemiah, this was an opportunity to double down. He could have said, well, there's a lot of opposition here. Maybe we're not supposed to do this. Actually, uh, because these are passing words and we're not really familiar with this, with this world in the Bible, actually what the, the names that are listed here actually paint a picture where Jerusalem is being surrounded by opposing forces on every possible side. If you're to really like dig in into the text and what it, what it looks like, it's very clear these enemies are on kind of the three different sides of Jerusalem. He's completely walled in. There is no way that they're going to be able to accomplish this work. They are overmanned. They are overgunned. Like there, there's like there's no possible way they're going to be able to do this. It, it should be too big. This would have been the opportunity to be like, okay, never mind. <laughs> Jerusalem wasn't so great anyway. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. And his confidence is in, in his ability to do it. He actually says, no, this is like what God has put in my heart to do. And I know that he will come through. And so I know that you're going to challenge it, but we're going to go through it any, and go through with it anyway. And it also really helps. He's got some other people that made that same commitment. Knowing God is on your side is worth having a million people on your side. <laughs> Knowing God is on your side means your enemies don't matter. They don't matter. Our, our faith is one that says death, which was the enemy of every human being from Adam to Jesus, went into a tomb dead and walked out of a tomb. That's our faith. That's what we believe if Jesus can overcome that enemy, then there is no enemy that stands against us, right? I, I don't, I'm not saying this is like a motivational talk. Like, I, I just want our faith to rise in the God who is our God, right? The God who is our God. That doesn't mean that, that sometimes there aren't defeats. Actually, as we look forward through the story of Nehemiah, at the end of Nehemiah, there's gonna, this is going to be a failure, there's some great victories, but there's some really hard things at the end of this book of Nehemiah. But our victory is secure in Christ. It's, it's already secure. It doesn't matter if I utter faily at every, uh, nope, fail utterly, <laughs> not utter faily. I don't know what that is. It doesn't matter if I fail in every arena of life. I know that I am an overcomer because of who Christ is. Because I'm in Christ and he is in me. I know, I know that that's true. Now again, you might be feeling like, I don't have a dream. Rob, why don't you come on up? I don't feel like I'm a visionary. <laughs> like, I, I don't, this feels like it's like, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to do with this. And I just want to say that some of you won't and that's okay. God didn't make us all to be dreamers. He didn't make us all to be huge visionaries. But he did put a gift inside of you. He did give you eyes to see. He did choose your story on this planet. Isn't that amazing? Your story. Like, 
God is sovereignly writing here. And you are a part of the bigger story that he's writing in all of creation. Like, it's, that's 100% true. You have some passion in your life that can be released. You have some ability to serve in a way that other people don't. You have some, something that you see in the world that, that like, you're like, yeah, I feel like I can make that better. I feel like I can pour myself in there. It could be as practical as like, we need better coffee. I feel like one of my friends' church, they had one person who was like, look, I don't know anything, but I know coffee really well. And so I want to make sure that the church is always blessed with really good coffee. Guys, I like coffee. Like, so it might be something that simple. Like, I feel like, I feel like this is a way that, that I can offer. Some of you are artists, and your art's like hiding, and we want to see it. We need it. Like, we, it makes us better. You carry the image of God and the beauty of God in your heart, and like, it awakens us. Some of you are musicians, and like, we need to hear more of that. Like some of you, like you are incredible intercessory prayer warriors. Or maybe you're just a person who really faithfully prays. Gosh, we need you to pray. Some of you, because you grew up in church, are really good at stacking chairs. And we, we need you, not necessarily here, but on Easter Sunday. Like this whole sermon is about getting you to help with chairs on Sunday. Maybe you've got a growing heart for like reaching your neighbors and like you just, you're really good. I, I was with a couple people this week and um, they're really good at making gelato. It's this Italian guy. Like some of you might've met him. They visited here a few weeks ago and they're just talking about how they just really want to bless people with making really, really excellent gelato. That's amazing. Like I was like, yes, you can bless me. Like, you know, God has something for you in our church family. He has something for you in his mission. So why don't you start asking what if? What if? What if? And it might be small or it might be really big. Because for some of you, God has given you a dream that can only be accomplished with faith. Like there's just no way. I can't, I can't do this unless God shows up. So if you say, say, gosh, I'm not sure, like, you come and talk to me, we'll, we'll help foster this together. We'll, we'll learn together how to step into it. Here's what I would say. Take advantage of what's here right now within our church family. Take advantage of what's right in front of you. Like, don't be waiting for this perfect kind of thing to happen. Like, it's right here, right now. You're never guaranteed tomorrow. Like, we don't know what the future is. It's right here, right now. So if you have something right now, like even now that you're like, I've been having a what if moment with God. Like I've been having this what if question. I'm just gonna ask you to submit to this kind of process to let this dream kind of begin to grow in secret, to begin to do something that helps you to refine it and bring some like actual legs to it and do something about it. 
to take that to a few people who you know like love you and are have and like want the best for you and then when you actually step into it to like be like no I, I know this is what God said to do so let's let's do it I think that's what God wants for church family so I want to give you just a second just to decide in your heart like how am I going to respond to what I've heard today how, how do I need to respond? I just ask you to get into a prayerful posture. And I'm just going to ask Jesus, would you speak to my friends here today? Lord, would you lift off any heaviness around us? Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You came to give us rest for our souls. So God, I pray that you'd release us from that. And I know that every creative act that's ever been made, it only comes from the Father of lights who gives perfect gifts. beauty of artistry, the beauty of music, the diligence of, of skilled builders. The empathy of shepherds and caretakers. All of these things and everything in between, God, is your hand. So I, I release you, Holy Spirit, to the degree that I can to speak to my friends today. I will invite you, God, to posture ourselves underneath you, to awaken what you want in us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that there would be a spirit of servanthood in our body that's not waiting to be the hero. We're just stepping into humble service, God. Reminded now of what it says in Philippians chapter 2 about how Jesus made himself lower than everything, leaving his place in glory to come down and serve. So I just want to say that this is not about you becoming a hero of a story. This is not even really about you finding your purpose and your meaning. This is about the way that you find how God is inviting you to lay your life down. So, Lord, I pray that you'd show us how to lay our lives down. Show us how to give ourselves away. Lord, and for anyone here who doesn't yet know you, I pray that today that they would come to you, offer their heart completely to you, and you would meet them. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.